every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Orlando Baeza, CRO and CMO at Flock Freight. Fixing freight's biggest weakness by offering a smarter alternative, shared truckload that moves goods more reliably and with fewer emissions. In this episode, Orlando shares with us his tips for innovating decades-old marketing strategies, the benefit of working under dynamic leadership, and why you should always keep your prospects laughing and learning. Orlando also talks about his journey of becoming the active CRO and CMO at a company like Flock Freight and what it takes to reimagine go-to-market from org structure and design. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Orlando Baeza, CRO and CMO at Flock Freight, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today I am joined by a special guest. Orlando, how are you? I'm doing great, Ian. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to have the conversation. Yeah, excited to have you here. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. Qualified is the number one conversational sales and marketing platform. Everybody loves them. We love them. Go to Qualified.com to learn more. Super excited to get into all things pipeline, marketing, revenue, and hear what the really cool stuff that you're doing at Flock Freight. Let's get into it. But first, what was your first job in marketing? First job in marketing was actually an internship at Nike. Nike East in the basketball category, which to say the least was both exciting and hard as hell. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to anybody from Nike and they've got some war stories, but you learn so much in that space and and you're just surrounded by incredible talent left and right. So a lot of incredible learnings in that, that weighed into kind of the foundation of my career, but certainly also moments of just like awe, right? From the icons that you're working with in terms of the athletes to the icons you're working with in terms of the company, which is some incredible talent that has come out of Nike. And flash forward to today, tell us what it means to be chief revenue officer and chief marketing officer at Flock Freight. Yeah, I appreciate that. So here at Flock, I oversee acquisition, marketing, and customer success. So in many in many ways, really owning the customer lifecycle in the commercial org. I joined Flock about a year and a half ago as the chief marketing officer. And earlier this year was promoted into the CRO role and taken on the additional responsibilities. Let's go. It's like it's, anytime we see that, we, you love to see it. CMOs turn <laughs> into CROs. Yeah, it's been it's an the, interesting, interesting trend line, right? Like I think we're seeing more and more of it than we've seen in the past. You know, oftentimes what we hear about is the the short tenure, the short average tenure of the CMO role. I think more and more lately, we're seeing CMOs turn into CEOs, CROs, COOs, presidents, et cetera, at really every every stage and level of a company, right? I can obviously talking about my story, but 
Then there's the Everett Taylors at Kickstarter. There's the Sean Tresvant at, at Taco Bell. There's some really interesting trends happening right now. And I think CMOs are, are really starting to get some additional recognition for the complexity of that role and how much they actually carry. I interviewed Everett years ago, different podcast. And it's one of those people where I, I met him and I'm like, this, this is a really sharp marketer. And then yeah, bang, <laughs> years later. Yeah, it's funny good. how that sort of, sort of stuff happens. It's like when he was at when he was CMO at Artsy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Everett's a really good friend of mine. We've actually built our friendship in recent years, and it's he's one of my closer friends at this point. I'm such a big fan of of, of what he's doing over there at Kickstarter and what he did at Artsy and how he's built his career and how he how he lives his values every day. It's uh, constant inspiration and a good brother of mine. Yeah, marketers, marketers becoming CEOs, becoming CROs and stuff. You love to see it. Okay, let's get to the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? This is where you go and feel honest and trusted and share those deepest, darkest pipeline secrets. Zooming out, what does Flock do? Yeah, thank you for asking the question. So Flock is creating a smarter, more sustainable supply chain. That's the cliff note. I'll explain why, but before I do, I think it's important to understand the problem. The problem is we have a big utilization problem in this country as it relates to over-the-road freight. So what I mean by that, half the trucks you see on the road, 53-foot trucks that you're driving past on, on the freeway every day, half of those trucks are half empty. That creates an incredible amount of waste but it is the byproduct of a supply chain that really hasn't been innovated on in 100 years. So really, there's two primary modes that people ship freight over the road with, which is truckload, meaning you buy the full truck, one truck, one driver goes from your pickup to its destination. It's the fastest mode. It's very little damage and loss in the process. So it's the best service quality. The alternative is LTL. LTL is when you don't have enough goods to fill up the truck or that it doesn't make economic sense for you to send the full truck. So you'll send it on what is the hub and spoke model, right? Which hasn't really innovated in the last hundred years, which means it's going to stop terminal after terminal after terminal. Your goods are going to get transferred from one truck to the next truck to the next truck, and it'll zigzag to its destination, right? It'll ultimately get there, but it'll be significantly longer transit time than had you have shipped it truckload. And damage and loss goes up by 15x, not 15%. Wow. So oftentimes there are reproduction issues. You have to you know, reproduce and reship because it didn't get there. It was lost or it was damaged to the point where the retailer can't, can't use it. It doesn't get to your end consumer, which creates a whole host of inefficiencies in your supply chain. So it is an imperfect supply chain, and it's been that way for a very long time. What Flock has done is created a third mode. It's called shared truckload. We've built a series of patented algorithms and technology that allow us to predict the movement of freight throughout the Continental 48. And in turn, allows us to identify the optimized pathways and routes to rideshare or carpool freight across the country, which allows the shippers to save money, the carriers to earn more money, and us to be able to cut carbon emissions being emitted into the atmosphere by as much as 40% organically. Then there are additional programs where we, where we leverage offsets as well to bring that all the way to carbon neutral for our core product, Flock Direct, which is the shared truckload product. So what we do now is what we're trying to do is scale penetration, scale adoption, scale awareness, concept awareness of this third mode that hasn't existed prior to us. 
We don't own any terminals. We don't own any trucks, right? We're non-asset. If we put something in a shared truckload, it goes on the truck at your, at your origin point. It doesn't get touched again until it gets to your destination. So it is truckload service quality at LTL prices, which is where the cost savings come into the equation for a lot of our customers. And, and who are those customers? What are the types of companies that you're selling into? Yeah, I mean, the customers is, is really up and down the tail. So, you know, we have very, very large enterprise shippers from every category you could imagine, some very household name brands that we all know and love, all the way into the long tail of SMBs, right? Small, small regional operations, customers, construction companies, food and bev, startups, mid-market, you, you name it, right? We have a long tail of SMBs in addition to the mid-market and enterprise shippers in our customer. And what does that buying committee look like? How do how do those, I mean, obviously very different from enterprise to SMB, I'd imagine. But what does that yeah. buying committee look like? What does that persona look like? Yeah, look, it's it definitely ranges pretty widely, right? So at a smaller company, it could be the CEO. It could be the COO. When you get into the larger enterprise companies, their entire orgs built around the supply chain. So it might be right. your director of transportation, your VP of supply chain, your chief supply chain officer. We also talk to a lot of heads of and, and chief sustainability officers, right? They see the, the opportunity that exists in really reducing their scope three emissions, which we can be an incredible partner for. So we talk to a wide variety of decision makers and influencers within a given organization, but the title itself really, really varies depending on the company and, and the stage of the company. And in that sales process, like how, how do you think about your, your marketing strategy? Great question. How I'd answer that is our marketing strategy has a few different responsibilities, right? I, I always start from like, what's the job to be done from a marketing standpoint? And first and foremost, top of mind is concept awareness, not just brand awareness. Yeah, we want people to know Flock Freight. Yes, we want people to know the brand name, but we really want people to truly understand what shared truckload is, what it means. Again, going back to the point I made a second ago, right? There hasn't been an innovation like this in 100 years right? We, we firmly believe that. And so it's really important that we scale concept awareness so that people truly understand the shippers, the shippers and the carriers alike, truly understand what this model means for them and what it means going forward. I think yeah. for the first time, we've got a, a mode and, a, and an option that actually caters to the customer's needs versus forcing customers into one of two not so great options. Yeah, I mean, similar to the category creation, category design, sort of a piece where there's when you're bringing something completely new to the market, you have to educate the market on that. You know, obviously a ton. That's exactly right. We have a lot of education to do, and then obviously, given the density and the complexity of the supply chain itself, and attention spans and mind share being the exact opposite end of that spectrum. <laughs> right. We we have, you know, we have made it a, a clear strategy to to leverage humor and wit as a way into educating people and gaining attention span and making people care. Care enough to tune in, care enough to view, care enough to read so that we can give them the education and and the details on what we're up to and how it's affecting shippers, carriers and the planet. Now that you've moved from CMO to CRO, what's the difference been for you? Like, what's your org structure look like now as, as CRO? You sort of mentioned at the top what you do, but digging in there, like, where does marketing fit within that? Yeah, so marketing fits in the center of it, right? Like, we are we are service function, right? And so we've got 
clear stakeholders in the customer success and in the, acquis- in the acquisition orgs, right? And marketing is here to drive efficiency and success for them, but also to partner and collaborate with them to find ways to continue to innovate in their processes as well, right? So one of the big things, you know, we've, we've done is really reimagined our go-to-market top to bottom from mm. org structure and design all the way through go-to-market materials and sales enablement to messaging, right, to even thinking about the inbound versus outbound dynamic and how we prospect. So we've, we've done a lot of organizational shifting to create what we believe is a much more dynamic, much more efficient organization that will set us for scale into the future. Cool. Curious, how do you sort of think of bucketing your money on that sort of like more brand and and sort of category and sort of problem-centric thinking versus like the product sort of, hey, we can solve this for you? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to to resource allocation, right? Because it's not just dollars, it's heads, it's tools, it's software, et cetera. I, I always start from a problem statement and what are the main objectives we we need to solve for in a quarter, in a year, et cetera. So really it all begins with the things that the firm needs to accomplish and then starting to think about what parts of our org are best set up to accomplish that. What do they need to be successful? So we rip it apart that way, really thinking about it from a functional standpoint, as well as potentially objectives and what objectives require a certain level of resource. The other key thing here is measurement, right? We spend a lot of time thinking about how to engineer things for measurement so that we are not just putting tactics out into the world and getting a feel on if it's working or not. It is measurable in multiple ways. Right, so that we can bring that back to what ROI might look like for that given resource expenditure and then have a point of view on whether that's something we want to double down on, whether that's something we might need to throttle back with, whether there's another version of that experiment we should try or test. But that that measurement piece is crucial when it comes to resource allocation because you want to feel conviction that if I'm going to put budget against this thing, it's going to it's going to serve us, right? And it's going to help us accomplish that goal that that we're setting that we're setting out to to hit. So, I think resource allocation comes right back to measurement most often, and we're always putting we're always putting our dollars where we've got the most conviction. Very cool. All right, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. Where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? I actually think one of the biggest mistakes people make is bringing a playbook with them. I I, I think it's incredibly important for for you to build something bespoke everywhere you are. I also believe it's it's important and and a real focus of mine to reimagine and question the existing playbook that that the company may have had prior to me arriving. Mm-hmm. And that's not to be change for change's sake. I'm actually quite against change for change's sake, but it's to bring a fresh pair of eyes to the problem areas and to figure out where in that playbook there are opportunities for innovation, 
where there are opportunities to think differently about solving the same problem, where there might be new tools or resources to help you attack that in a different manner, right? We think about social media and how much that has, that has continued, that landscape has continued to change. There's just channels continue to pop up, right? There's so many different ways to go about this job that I think oftentimes you get used to a playbook, you get comfortable in that approach and, and you default to bringing that to, to, to all of your challenges. And, and that ends up being a mistake. So as it comes to your question, what are the three, what are the three kind of non-negotiable channels for me? Social is at the very top of that list, right? In my, in my mm. opinion, that's the window to our business, right? In, in a pre-social media, pre-digital era, right? The window to the retail shop, you better get that right. I think you better get social right. You know, you, you need to know who you're talking to. You need to know what they're looking for. You need to build the right content, create the right levels of engagement. So I think social media is incredibly important. I think in this business specifically, sales enablement is incredibly important. As I mentioned before, we have a huge, huge lift in terms of education. We've got a lot to teach and to show and to unveil. A lot of what we do is new for a lot of shippers, haven't worked with a company exactly like us, haven't used this mode before, mm-hmm. right? So there's a, there's a big lift there. So product marketing, sales enablement is incredibly important into the mix. And then demand generation is incredibly important. That is brand and performance. I think those two have to hold hands, right? It's something I say to my team all the time, brand is performant. It is not brand for brand's sake and performance for performance sake. We're not, we're not looking to just optimize all of our performance marketing engines against, you know, DR, you know, DR focused activities and content that are just focused on get the click, get the click. Yep. We need to mix these worlds. It makes for a, a higher quality click. It makes for a higher quality conversion. It makes for a sticky customer. I think doing one without the other, not intertwining them, often ends up being this church and state that we see in many marketing orgs today that becomes a tough dynamic to overcome as an organization. And it becomes confusing for your consumers because your customers end up seeing two different messages from those two different channels and are always trying to reconcile what they're walking into. And then undoubtedly in a B2B situation, then they're going to talk to a salesperson who is neither brand or performance, and they're going to have a different way to say it. So Alignment of messaging is incredibly important, which is why I always talk about the mesh between brand and performance and why I always talk about brand is performant if it is to be successful. So I think, I think that's, where I, that's where I'd go with those three. Awesome. One thing that, that seems like y'all invest pretty heavily in is, is this impact report that you do. That sure. Your, your CEO. So for, for our listeners, you can go to flockfreight.com slash sustainability and so y'all are a B Corp, you have a very serious commitment to sustainability and you publish this impact report, which is like beautiful. It's like extremely cool Thank looking you. and like engaging from that perspective, but you have a massive impact on, on society, on, on sustainability and an a obligation that you want to do lots more of that and help other people do that. However, those types of things, which like I would view that as like a non-negotiable sort of a like, hey, we have to you know figure out a way to to tell the story. But you did it in a really cool way, and I'm curious. Like, there are people who that speaks to them, and there's other people who 
dollars on dollars speaks to them. Like, Hey, I can save you X amount of dollars. I can make you more money. So just curious, like, how do you think about marketing something like your 2022 impact report? Yeah. Great question. Look, this comes down to, you know, extreme segmentation, right? Understanding who you're talking to, understanding, you know, what that customer's priorities are. Do they have ESG goals at a corporate, right? A lot of these enterprise shippers do. And they need to hit those goals. And we can be an incredible partner. And it's also an incredible differentiation for us in the space. I think more than anything, like the reason I didn't mention in the previous three is because it's not a choice that we're making whether or not to do. It is it is in the heart of this company. It is the core in this product, right? Like there is no escaping it. It is what we do. It is what we care about. There is a very, very large majority of flockers out there that are here at Flock Freight because of our impact on the environment and what we what we represent. So it's inherent in everything we do. And to your point, some shippers care more about it than others, right? And that is just the reality of it. So we take sure. those efforts seriously, right? And you can see that from the impact report and the amount of time and resource that went into preparing that shooting those videos, building that content, et cetera, and love hearing the positive feedback from the people where it really strikes a chord because it means a lot. It means a great deal to, to the team here at Flock, and we do a lot locally and nationally to, to hit on these. But there's also other, other shippers that are more price sensitive, that are you know thinking about their P&L, right? For God's sakes, we're in the middle of a recession, right? People are, people are feeling it. People are looking for the savings opportunities in their P&L. They're looking for efficiency gains. And we want to be able to let them know that they can do good while doing good, right? Where you reduce the friction for people making the right decision is when you can make it profitable. Make doing the right thing profitable comes a lot, lot harder to say no right? If we can provide you a more efficient supply chain outcome, right, where we're saving you money, but you're not sacrificing on service quality. And oh, by the way, we're avoiding ever emitting X amount of carbon emissions into the atmosphere. So you're having a positive impact on the planet in the process. It makes you feel good because you're doing something good, but you're also profitably benefiting from that decision. And that is, the, that is always the needle to thread. Right. If we can thread that needle with any given shipper, that is when it becomes really compelling. And in most cases, we're able to have that conversation, thankfully. And that's, you know, because of the technology and what it affords us in terms of the comparisons in the supply chain today. When I first checked out the impact report, I was thinking, like, obviously, this is really cool. And to see the impact that your company has on the world is awesome. And the second thing was, gosh, it's so hard to get a CEO to sit down and shoot video. (laughs) 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 Like, oh my goodness. That's like every marketer's nightmare is like, hey, we're going to shoot a bunch of video with our CEO. Yes. We are very, very fortunate to have a CEO that really like this is this is something that's ingrained in him right integrity super yeah. high with him he cares immensely about solving this th- this crisis and wants to play a big role in it so he is you know both hands raised as a volunteer anytime we have an initiative like this where we feel like he's the right messenger and you know Thankfully, this has been an incredible partnership and experience with him in that he is always giving and generous with his time and his insight. Uh, he's been in this industry since he started his career, so he's got a lot of insights that that is helpful to our team top to bottom. 
but he's also very willing to give of his time for any efforts that we think is impactful for the company. So it is a wonderful advantage that we have available to us. Yeah, that's awesome. When you have a, a a senior leader who's extremely dynamic, hopefully it's your CEO, but if it's not your CEO, someone else who's extremely dynamic, especially with domain expertise, like you have to use them. And it's so, so impactful when you do. Like everyone just cares more. Like when the CEO speaks, like people care more. Like if you have that, you got to figure out a way to to back up a, a production engine and a, and a marketing engine to get their story out there, to get their continued thought leadership out there. Like it's such an advantage and it's super underinvested by a lot of people because it takes time and like nothing's more important than your CEO's time. Man, it's so true. You're bringing up a great point. It's, you know, it's not only incredible to have a messenger like that, but increasingly so when that message wraps around purpose, that is a leading reason why nearly our entire employee base is here, right? So to, so to yeah. know that their leader cares so passionately about solving this problem and that that is in the core of the product, right? And that is also true, by the way, of our CTO, Lou, our CFO, our, like completely throughout the C-suite, like everyone is here for purpose and impact in addition to, which certainly makes a marketer's job a lot simpler when you have content that you want to shoot, thought leadership you want to create, with people who are willing to raise their hands up and say, oh, I'm happy to support this. And then in addition to that, you've got to be able to back it up, right? And I think for us, the impact report is a wonderful way to show that these are not words. These are actions. These are results, right? When we sit there and and report that, you know, 35,000 metric tons of carbon emissions were avoided ever entering the planet because of what shared truckload produced in the last year, that means a lot, right? That's millions of cars off the road. And that is impactful, right? Over the road freight, one of the worst polluters in the world. This is a global issue. The utilization problem that I mentioned at the top of the program, a global issue. And while we've launched in the Continental 48 now, we, we believe firmly that you know this technology, this third mode, shared truckload, has real scale well beyond the walls of the United States of America and are super excited about what that might mean in the future because it's a very, very large landscape, right? Over-the-road freight in the U.S. alone is about a trillion-dollar TAM. When you get into the globe, you're talking closer to seven. So when you think about TAMs that large, marketers get excited. And when you think about mirroring the, the penetration opportunity with the impact on the planet, Now you're getting into special territory in terms of doing something that matters. Is there one area that's like your most cuttable item or something that you don't want to be investing in going forward or or something that is a channel that's not really working? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say right now it might be out of home. Hmm. And it's not because it won't work. It's not because the channel doesn't work. It's the way you quantify it and what is needed to support out of home, right? In terms of large, vast distribution and activation, I think the best out of home use cases are ones where there's activation opportunities surrounding those out of home placements, where you really get to maximize the value that you're getting out of those those awareness gains and that presence. And again, in a world where you can't do everything at the same time, right? Where you've got to make choices and trade-offs, that's probably the one that we've we've went a little lighter on. We've used out of home in the past. 
We've gone a little bit lighter in our current strategy due to the reasons I just mentioned, but I wouldn't be shocked or surprised if we brought it back into play at the right time. Okay, we got to talk about the campaign that y'all did. Oh, I didn't with, think we were going to uh, get there. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, we have to. So you you created a campaign. I, I, well, what do you call it internally? Do you just call it the fuckload campaign? Like, what is, what's it referred <laughs> well, to I was, as? I, I was going to ask this question at the top of the at the top of the program, but I didn't know if we can curse on here. Uh, go ahead. We can always bleep it out in post. It's all right. All right. Fair enough. So. Uh, it's affectionately referenced as the fuckload shitload campaign internally, but the official title for the campaign is Define Your Load. And that was partially because as we wanted to make sure that we distributed this and it got played, there weren't curse words in the titles of the spots because that would automatically flag it on the different distribution channels. So we right. had to we had to, you know, kind of kind of dull that down a little bit in terms of the title, but certainly people use shorthand internally. So yeah, so why why'd you do this thing? Yeah, so I talked a little bit earlier about brand awareness, concept awareness, and and why concept awareness was so in, incredibly important for us. We got a big education gap to fill. I was thinking about how do we communicate and educate people about shared truckload when the topic of supply chain itself is so dense and attention spans are so small. How do we how do we make that work? And as I stewed on that, where I landed on was, I think humor can play a big role here. The company already uses a lot of humor internally. We play on the name. Our onboarding program, for example, is called Flock You. We have fun with the name. And so I thought there would be an appetite for using humor as a tool, but we hadn't landed on the concept. And this is where, you know, partnership and, you know, with our agency partner, Maximum Effort, which is led by Ryan Reynolds and, and his business partners, really came in crucial. We spent a lot of time talking about the problem, talking about the challenge, talking about what we needed to overcome, and that we wanted to leverage humor. And we ended up landing on this concept of, why don't we define a term or terms that we've already been using in plain language to capture people's attention span? And then translate that into the terms that are more typically seen as industry jargon, right? And that is yeah. where we landed on fuckload and shitload being alternatives for full truckload and share truckload. And the, the differences there were actually not that difficult to get to because everyone kind of unanimous, unanimously agreed that fuckload was more than shitload, right? So <laughs> that worked out in our favor, right? So the FU works for full truckload, right? The SH works for shared truckload. And so we were able to use that alliteration in our, in our advantage. And obviously then the fun comes in when you get into the script writing phase of, of this portion where we're just trading ideas and thoughts, probably using more curse words in meetings than than I'm used to. And I'm someone who curses more than enough in meetings. So people, people that know me or all my teams will laugh at that because they know well, good and well that that is true. But yeah, I mean, we had some fun in the script writing phase, trying to find the right mix of funny and humor and education, right? And I think the thing that this, this campaign, while it ended up being awarded and really highly regarded, I think the thing that people come back to all the time is like, yeah, it's it's hilarious. And yes, it's incredible, you know, really thoughtful talent casting. 
and well shot, the graphics, people highlight all these things, but everyone comes back to, I learned something. Like you guys Mm. did an incredible amount of work while making me laugh. And that was the primary focus for us was making sure that it did enough work and that it wasn't just humor for humor's sake, right? And that you could walk away from watching a 30-second spot, a 60-second spot, and actually know what shared truckload is, right? And I think that was one of the best examples of success for this campaign. And it, and it happened very early on. Like, I, I remember the first time I pitched this to our CEO, I probably gave 87 caveats because I was worried about how he'd receive it. <laughs> right. But as I finished, his response immediately was, that might've been the best articulation of what we do that I've heard, mm. right? And that was incredible to hear, right? Because it's easy to get lost in the language. It's easy to get lost in the jokes. And it was really, really important for me to make sure that the work did not get lost. And so to hear him respond that way, and then as I you know, went ahead and socialized that throughout the organization, because I, I wanted to make sure everyone was comfortable with taking a risk like this, the feedback was just incredible. And, and we kind of knew instantly that we had to make it. What was the experience of your, uh, of your customers, of your community? <laughs> I mean, just phenomenal, right? We're, we're months and months post-launch at this point and still have customers calling in saying, hey, you guys are the fuckload shitload people, right? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so we, we are still taking those calls. Look, I think the important nuance here isn't about is it funny and sticky, right? It is both of those things, but it is aperture changing, right? When you're trying to, when you're trying to sell, when you're, when you're a B2B company looking to make inroads with the right decision maker, you're trying to turn a cold conversation into a warm lead. If right. they recall and remember what you did and they have reverence for that thing you did, the aperture is different on the phone. The interest is different on the phone. Your conversation is dynamically different. You're all of a sudden not explaining, hey, we're from Flock Frey and we do blank, blank, blank. You're immediately into here's how we can help you because they're already interested. And that aperture shift was felt significantly on our side, right? It was that campaign was quickly followed by a record setting acquisition quarter, record setting margin profile quarter. Like we had wonderful tailwinds, awareness jumped triple digits, recall jumped triple digits. We, we had incredible measurement in place to be able to track all the successes and or failures mm. of what we were going to launch. And thankfully, there were a lot of successes, right? And we, didn't, we knew there was a risk. We knew there was a risk that people might be offended by the language, that people might not see it for the thoughtfulness that we put into it and just, you know, capture the superficial language of it all and, and not love it. And that could be customers, it could be employees, it could be, you know, anyone in the Flock ecosystem, our partners. So we were aware of that risk. We teased and tested some of that to get a feel for it. The responses were, were really positive, which is why we felt comfortable with the risk. And then what we saw on the other side was just a lot of appreciation and, and like-mindedness from our customer base, from our employees, just everyone just kind of wrapped their arms around it. Everyone appreciated you know, just the irreverence of it all and how we approached the humor and the, the, the care we put into making sure that we communicated what shared truckload was and, and making sure that this, this humor carried work alongside it. Keep them laughing, keep them learning, right? That's right. It's like Laugh and it's, learn, right? We talk a lot sometimes. about lunch and learns in employee cultures. Laugh and learns. That's right. 
Tyler Vidyard taught me that. <laughs> I love it. It's so cool. And you know, it just begs the question. This stuff works so freaking well. Every time we have someone come on and tell these type of stories of doing some really cool quote unquote brand campaign, yeah. it ends up doing a lot more than brand. And it's like, why don't we do cool stuff more often? Like, what are we doing? Why do we do boring stuff? Like, how much money are we going to dump into Google ads before we drive ourselves crazy? It's just like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's diminishing results, right? You can scale, you know, these performance channels and, and that is absolutely true. But at some point you're going to bump against efficiency issues, right? There will be points of diminishing returns. And this is where brand plays a key role because it will make your performance media significantly more efficient. And we saw that. Way better. Right? We saw that yep. so clearly. And what's better is typically a successful brand campaign, even post-flight, will have a halo effect for months on end on the efficiency of the performant media. So it is not a short, you know, people always talk about brand as a long-term investment and a long-term goal, but they're not usually talking about it from a media efficiency standpoint. And it's a miss. It is a massive efficiency driver when you do it right. So it is something that is, often overlooked, but it's usually, it comes back to measurement, right? The onus is on us as marketing leaders to truly understand how to measure and quantify the impact of what brand does and be able to articulate that to C-suite, to the board, to understand why we're allocating dollars and resources to put towards this, right? Because it is hard, harder to quantify than a direct conversion that you can easily attribute, right? So, it is naturally a little bit more of a lift. But again, I think if you can nail how to measure and how to articulate that measurement and that impact on the business, it becomes very much a no-brainer. It becomes something you need to invest in. Of course you invest in because when you don't and when you stop, you see the differences. You feel the differences, right? So putting fresh creative in the market and just challenging your teams to not be burdened by the tried and true historical truths of an industry or a category, right? Oftentimes, the creativity exists on these B2, in these B2B companies. They're just not leveraging it. And, you know, I think it's one of my benefits having a consumer background, right? Yeah. Nike, Call of Duty, Paramount, like bringing that consumer thinking into my approach on the B2B side has been a, a differentiator for me as an executive and the teams that I build and the campaigns and and the strategies that we put out into the world. But I I hold it near and dear. Again, I think the measurement is, is, is the secret sauce. If you know how to measure, if you know how to articulate impact, I, I think it's really hard to argue that you shouldn't do it. Let's get into our last segment. Quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Just like how qualified.com helps companies generate pipeline quickly Tap into your greatest asset, your website, to identify your most valuable visitors and instantly, and I mean instantly, start sales conversations right on the site. Quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to qualified.com to learn more. Quick hits. Orlando, are you ready? Yes, sir. Number one, do you have a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? (laughs) Yeah, I play basketball at a pretty high level. So play basketball through college played high school ball in California, college ball in Rhode Island. So used to play basketball. That is not a hidden talent today. Blew out my knee a couple times. Haven't picked <laughs> up a ball in a while. So don't think you got a ringer on your rec league team. That's not me anymore. But back in the day, it would have been. Just hidden mid-range. Just uh... <laughs> pull up jumpers all day. 
Do you have a favorite book or podcast or TV show that you've been checking out recently? Ooh, that's a great question. I'll do a quick plug for Apple TV. Yeah. Apple TV Plus, insane content right now. There's so good. So many things, but shrinking comes to mind as something I watched really recently. The Bear Season 2 just dropped. So I, I went through that pretty quickly. Highly suggest that. That's FX on Hulu. So shouts out to the streaming, to the streaming players out there. They're doing it right. There's a lot of great content out there. Do you do, have you done Mythic Quest yet? I haven't done Mythic Quest. I've had multiple people tell me to get into it. I haven't jumped in yet. It's just like so, it's like such a great modern like workplace comedy, like dramedy, but it's just great. It's just so good. I got to check it out. All right, on this to-do list. Yeah. What advice would you give to a first-time CMO who is trying to figure out how to drive their pipeline? Mm. Build your tribe. I think for first-time CMOs who are figuring it out, I remember my first CMO job, I was certainly figuring it out. Building your tribe is incredibly important. And I don't mean your team. I mean your, your tribe externally, your advisors, your friends, your peers. People have been doing that job before. People have done other executive jobs before. I think that is incredibly important to be bouncing things off of people, to get another opinion, and to, and, and to lose the ego in the process right? There's certainly some ego that comes into play, especially at se- with senior titles. I don't think this job is an ego job at all. I think it's quite the opposite. I think servant leadership is super important and building a tribe that'll hold you accountable, keep you honest and give you some differing points of view. So they'll challenge you. Super important to being successful and, and ramping up into the seat. Orlando, it's been absolutely awesome chatting with you. We super appreciate it. Such a cool mind and, and marketer. Thanks again. For our listeners, you can go to flockfreight.com. You can check it out. Check out the sustainability report. Super cool. Check out the Steve Burns investigates. How much is a, <laughs> a fuckload? It's so funny and cool. We'll link it up in the show notes. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Thanks so much for having me, Ian. I think, you know, nothing else to plug. I definitely would implore the the listeners to go check out Flock Freight. Go see what we're doing. We're an amazing impact on our customers, on our carriers, on the planet. And excited to continue to, to spread the word about shared truckload, right? And we got shitloads of freight to move all around the country. So <laughs> let us know if we can be of help. I love it. Thanks, Orlando. Thanks again to our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more. <laughs>